Father God, uh, thank you that you are indeed a good God. Uh, you're the creator and sustainer of our world, um, and you are a good king in the person of your son, our Lord Jesus, who has seated at your right hand above um, uh, all creation, uh, every name that is named. Our Lord is king. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for making yourself known to us through your word. Uh, thank you for your scriptures. And we uh, pray that as we hear them read now, and, uh, and preached for us. We pray that you would um, open the um, ears and eyes of our hearts uh, to take in the truths that you have for us. Please uh, shape us deeply uh, by them and show us more of who you are and of what you've done for us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue and was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Thanks for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Well, uh, we've got a little quote uh, on the screen. Uh, let's read this together. Uh, All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Now, uh, here's a little competition. Let's see, can anyone have a guess, have a stab, where do, you, where do you think this quote comes from? Anyone want to have a shot? United Nations, yes. Does anyone know particularly what document it might be? Yes, the, uh, the Declaration, Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, so this is the document that uh, in 1948, just after World War II, uh, a whole bunch of countries that formed the United Nations got together uh, and voted in. Uh, originally then, it was voted in by 48 countries, but now uh, it's been signed by over 190 countries around the world. Uh, and this is actually the very first article, the very first declaration in that Declaration of Human Rights. And the idea that every human has a right to be free comes up over 40 times in only those 30 articles. The belief that every human deserves freedom is absolutely a foundational basis for this declaration. And actually, it's a foundational basis for the whole idea of human rights in the first place. The belief that no human should be a slave to anyone. The idea that no human should be oppressed or persecuted. That everyone should be free to choose 
who they associate with or befriend or marry. Every person should be free to think what they want and, and to say what they believe, to choose their religion, to be able to speak their mind without fear. Freedom is essential to human rights. And it's the air that we breathe in Australia, isn't it? Here in 21st century Australia, we treasure freedom. It's probably actually one of the few things that Aussies would actually be bothered to fight for. We celebrate it. Australians all let us rejoice, for we are young and free. That's right. But actually, while we see that as just so right, so normal, it's actually not all that, all that normal throughout history. We're actually the odd ones out. If we look back through history, we realise that pretty much every people group in all of history before Jesus had a completely different take on freedom, a completely different take on human rights. See, almost no one believed that freedom was a built-in human right. Pretty much every people group agreed that forced slavery, forced marriages, forced segregation, forced religion, forced censorship was just part and parcel of life here on earth. And pretty much every people group throughout history practised these things over the nations or the tribes that they conquered, over different parts of society... And while you might be able to think of some little notable exceptions along the way who fought for a freedom or believed a freedom or, or didn't like slavery or didn't like forced marriage or didn't like forced religion, actually they're few and far between and none of them got very far. Those ideas didn't spread. They were by no means universal. And you know what? We don't even have to look back in the history books. If we look today at many of the hundred and, and quite a number of the 190 countries who have signed this declaration, actually there's quite a number of them that have quite different take on freedom to what we do. We think of China, we think of Russia, we think of Saudi Arabia, who might have signed this declaration but think very differently about a human's right to freedom than we do. So what caused this change? Why do we think like this about freedom? Well, point two, we believe in freedom because of Jesus. Now, the beginning of something can often tell us a lot about the end of something, can't it? Often at the very beginning of something, you can kind of see where it's going. Um, if you've ever watched Midsummer Murders, you'll know that's true. Uh, but it's the same in life, isn't it? Um, you know, sometimes you can see a relationship start between two people and you can catch glimpses of where it's going. Um, lots of things in life, at the beginning, we get a bit of a, a little hint, a little glimpse of what's going to come at the end. And in the paragraph uh, that uh, the ladies just read for us, uh, we get one of those moments where at the very beginning we get a sign of where things are going. Because here we read, at the very beginning of Jesus' public mission, a sign that was anything but a subtle sign, a sign that was like Jesus putting up in lights, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing, this 
is who I am. Jesus had just turned up at the synagogue, the place where the Jews go every Saturday uh, to worship God and read the Bible. And he stands up to read and he doesn't just open randomly. He doesn't just read something he's been given. Jesus very carefully, very deliberately finds a particular part of the book of Isaiah. Have a look there at verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now this uh, that Jesus read from the Bible is what the Bible calls a prophecy. It's something that was said at one point in history, but pointing forward to something that was coming. And this, this prophecy was a promise that God had made over 700 years before Jesus got up and read it on that day in the synagogue. It was a promise God had made that he was going to send a chosen king, a special servant, to do what? To bring freedom. Freedom. Now, if you uh, know much about the history of the people of Israel... Uh, you might know that in the history of Israel, there was one big event that completely shaped and characterised that nation. And that big event was when they had been slaves in Egypt and God had brought them freedom. God had freed his people in a really spectacular way. If you've never read it, uh, it's fantastic. Find the book of Exodus, the second book at the beginning of the Bible, and read how God brought freedom to those who were slaves. And actually, this, this event had formed the nation. This event had shaped their culture and their identity and who they are and how they thought about the world they lived in. But actually, that freedom back there at that beginning was actually just another little signpost, another little foretaste, another little glimpse of what was ultimately coming. That freedom was like a little tiny preview of the freedom that God ultimately had planned to bring in the future. God had rescued Israel from slavery, but actually God was going to bring a different kind of freedom, a bigger freedom, a more complete freedom from slavery, from oppression, from poverty, from sickness, ultimately freedom from our greatest enemy, sin. Now, has, I started watching a show a little while ago called Yellowstone. Anyone start watching that? I actually gave up watching it. It was, you know, it was a bit rough and I thought that this is not really not something I want to keep watching. But it's a show about a ranch set in Yellowstone uh, in the US and it's a cattle ranch, and there's something unique about this ranch. And what's unique about it is that uh, some of the cowboys, uh, usually to get themselves out of a spot of trouble with the law, uh, they take a brand to the chest, so a hot, red-hot cattle brand, seared into their chest uh, with the big Y of the Yellowstone Ranch. And what this means is that it actually ties them to the ranch for life they essentially become slaves to the ranch. 
And that, that brand, that why, is like an invisible chain, which means they can never leave. And the only way out is death. Now, actually, that's what sin is like. We don't realise that, but we all carry a brand, not, not a big why burnt into our chest, but an invisible brand that, that is like an invisible chain. And it's, it's the brand of sin. Because when we turn our backs on God, when we decide that actually we don't want to live your way, we don't want to listen to you, we're going to make up the rules ourselves, we're going to decide for ourselves how we're going to live, we actually give up our freedom. We actually are taking on a brand that we can't get rid of, an invisible chain that's tying us to sin. The difference between that brand and the Yellowstone brand, though, is that this brand doesn't end at death. The brand of sin and that chain of sin goes on beyond death for all eternity. It's a bigger problem than poverty or tyranny or oppression, a bigger problem than sickness or disease, a bigger problem than any other problem or freedom that we have lost. Sin is the biggest enemy to freedom. See, actually, sin is the reason why all those other things exist. It's because of sin that we have poverty. It's because of sin that we have inequality. It's because of sin that we have slavery and segregation and dictators. God's big plan, way back there through Isaiah, was that he was going to fix that problem and bring ultimate freedom by fixing the root of the problem, which is sin. And so fast forward, here we come to the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus gets up in the synagogue and he announces, that's why I am here. I am the solution. I am the one God has sent to bring freedom from everything, freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from sickness, freedom from slavery. Have a look again, verse 18. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. In verse 21, Jesus then sits down and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Or you might be thinking, well, how? Uh, I know the people in the synagogue would have been thinking, how? Yeah, that's a huge claim, Jesus. How in the world do you think you're going to do that? How are you going to bring true freedom? Well, God had already hidden that clue way back there when he had saved his people from, from slavery in Egypt. Back there, freedom came through sacrifice. Freedom came through the death of a lamb so that God's people could go free. And in Jesus, freedom would come the exact same way. In Jesus, freedom would come through sacrifice, through death, not of a lamb, but of Jesus, the one that God had sent. And he sacrificed himself to bring us freedom, 
It is right at the heart and the core of what he came to do. But because he didn't deserve to die, because Jesus had never taken that brand of sin, because he had never given up his freedom, there was no chain tying him to sin and death, he rose again. Death backfired and Jesus came back to life and now he has the power to make us free of sin's invisible chain. One day Jesus is coming back to make this world new again. A new world without all this destruction that sin has caused. A world without slavery or poverty or inequality or sickness or death. This is the Christian message. That Jesus came and he brings freedom. Freedom that he will make complete when he returns. Well, you might be thinking, well, what's that got to do with 21st century Australia and what we believe about freedom? What what does this idea of Jesus and sin have anything to do with human rights? I mean, Jesus never led a revolution. He didn't lead a movement to abolish slavery or forced marriage or segregation. But he did plant a seed. Our next point, the seed that brings freedom. Well, how did Jesus plant a seed? Actually, there's a clue uh, in uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. All human beings, we just read, are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act toward one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Now, Jesus, when he was here, he acted uh, like nobody else. Uh, He loved and cared for anyone. Slaves, free, prostitutes, criminals, fishermen, doctors, young, old, Jews, non-Jews. He treated all people alike. Uh, He healed, he welcomed, he accepted, he forgave. Everybody was equal in Jesus' sight. Everybody was free to come to Jesus. And then as Jesus sent out his followers, he sent them to all people. He sent them out because all people were equal. He sent them out with the message that all are free to come to Jesus. Whether rich or poor or slave or free, prostitute, fisherman, doctor, young, old. And as Jesus' disciples went out and they shared this message... People became a family as they trusted in Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Slaves, free, fishermen, doctors, young, old, Jews, non-Jews. Family. All free in Jesus. And so then, how could one brother treat another brother as if they were not equal? How could one person who's been freed by Christ from sin treat another person who's been freed by Christ from sin as lesser? How could they enslave or oppress the person who Jesus died to free? The brotherhood 
this seed that was planted was the seed that brought freedom. And it didn't just bring freedom within the church, within God's people. It actually extended to all humanity. See, if God's plan for humanity is to bring freedom, how can God's people not be on board with that when all people are free to come to Christ? Well, this thinking is summed up really well by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was writing to a slave owner whose slave had run away and become a Christian. And then Paul was sending this, this runaway slave back to his master. Uh, we've got this letter, it's preserved in the Bible, uh, in, it's called Philemon. Uh, and Paul writes this, he says, The reason he, your runaway slave, was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. See, as Christianity spread throughout the Western world, this view of brotherhood and freedom spread with it. See, it was almost completely Christians who led and brought about the abolition of the Atlantic slave trade. You go through, you read the history books. It was almost completely Christians who actually pioneered schools and universities to give people the freedom to get out of poverty and, and the situations they were in. It was almost completely Christians who started hospitals to free people from debilitating sickness so they could get on with their lives. See, it is the Christian view of freedom that actually gives us the basis for our views on human rights, our views on freedom. Whether we like it or not, we here in the West believe what we believe about freedom only because of Jesus. He is the reason for this air that we breathe. But we're in danger of pulling the rug out from our own feet. Point three, true freedom is only found in Jesus. Uh, now, who's, who's played Jenga? Played Jenga? So, you know, you stack up the towel with the little blocks and there's three blocks in each layer and you've, you've got to pull one out and you don't want to be the person that pulls one out and accidentally makes the tower knock over. Well, uh, what happens if there's just one little piece left at the very bottom and you try and take that one out? What's going to happen to your tower? It's going to come crashing down and uh, we all know uh, that that's exactly what happens when we play Jenga. But actually, that's exactly what we're trying to do here in Australia right now. Uh, as a culture, as a nation, we're trying to pull out that one little piece at the bottom that actually holds the whole tower up. We're trying to remove Jesus from our thinking. We're trying to remove Jesus from our history. And the tower is starting to fall down. See, Peter uh, Singer and Nishka and, and a whole bunch of other atheist philosophers and thinkers they themselves will admit, actually, the only reason why we think about human rights, why we think about freedom, is because of Jesus. 
And, and some of them, Peter Singer, Nietzsche, they actually admit that actually if you take Jesus out, we have no reason to believe that every person deserves to be free. Because if you take out the good news of Jesus, what makes a person any different from a cucumber? Cucumber has no right to be free. If we just happened by the same chance and process of accident that a cucumber happened, what gives people any reason to be treated any differently? What gives us any right to freedom? See, if we look carefully, we can see around our world what happens when we take out Jesus, when we don't have that Jesus-shaped view of freedom. We can see the incredible atrocities performed around the world as we speak by nations and peoples who have taken Jesus out or never put Jesus in to their view of people. And actually, in Australia, we can see that starting to happen around us. As we're purging Jesus out of our society and our history, we can actually already see some of those freedoms start to wear away. Freedoms of thought and speech and belief are starting to be eroded. So there are certain thoughts and speeches that you're free to express. And as Christians, there are certain thoughts and speech that we are actually frowned upon and shut down and vilified for. Freedom to worship is being eroded in this country. When Jesus is taken out, the tower will come down and there will be no basis to think about people as free in the way that we have for so long. But what about the criticism that many have that actually following Jesus takes away your freedom? I've got a question for the kids. Kids, uh, can you tell me where are fish free? Where is a fish really free? What do you reckon? In the water. Is a fish free up in a tree? No. What about on a rock? No. Uh, what about up in the air? No. No, fish is free under the water. What's going to happen to that fish? He might feel free for a minute and then he's going to die. What about a bird? Kids, who can tell me, maybe, who can tell me where a bird is free? Let's see. Yep. Up there, yep. In the air. Is a fish free under the water? Is a fish free under the water? No. Fish are free in the water. Oh, did I just say fish? Birds are free in the air. Thank you. I just pulled out the Jager piece in my brain. See, Jesus knows where we are most free. Jesus knows where birds are most free because he made them. He knows that they're free in the air, not under the water. Jesus knows where fish are free because he made them. They're free in the water, not up on the beach. And Jesus knows where we are free. And so when Jesus says to us, this is how you live, he's not limiting our freedom. He's showing us how freedom works, how as people that he has made, how we can experience true freedom of being able to trust him that he's in control and knows best. 
So it might seem upside down, but following Jesus, we find true freedom. In denying ourselves, we try and find true fulfilment. Now, I do have a question uh, that uh, I have for you. It should be up on the screen. Uh, Question of the day. Uh, This is a question uh, over morning tea, on the drive home, over lunch. Uh, I'd encourage you to just discuss and think about together. Uh, So what do you think would be different about the world today if the Christian view of freedom had not spread like it did? What would be different about our world today if we didn't have that 2,000 years of history of the Christian view of freedom changing, infiltrating the world and the way we think about freedom and human rights? Thank you.